Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and today I'm delighted to be welcoming back the wonderful Jacqueline. She's a psychotherapist and if you haven't seen her Instagram, she is Wings and Quill where she has such informative, wonderful posts um, primarily focused on eating disorder recovery. If you are a long-time listener, you no doubt will have heard from her many times before and if you're brand new, well, this is going to be an absolute delight. Welcome Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me back, Jade. It's always an absolute joy to be here. Oh, I love every conversation. I feel like we get deeper and deeper into all different kind of weaves as we go. And I guess the last few conversations, we've had more of a a diet culture focus in regards to how to navigate our dynamics of eating when society is telling us one and we follow that and it led us down a, let's say, dark path. And then breaking the shackles and, and finding ourselves in a new healthy dynamic that kind of goes against what society might be preaching. And then today we're going to deep dive into another topic that's very similar to that. And that's one of there's so much praise for weight loss, even if it's due to something um, stressful, illness related, devastation, grief, stress. There's still this praise of, oh, well, yeah, we've lost so much. And Then we go through eating disorder recovery and we're going from being praised for losing weight, being petite, body changes to needing to gain weight. And in the moment, it feels so cruel. How do we tackle this idea of gaining weight when for the longest time it's exactly what we've been running from? It's a wonderful question and everything you've acknowledged is is part of what's going to be important to unpack more today and talk through because we're we're set up on this narrative arc of weight loss being one of the biggest accomplishments we could we could almost achieve in our society I know I've had friends that have impressive degrees and have had children and have like accomplished in inverted commas all these other things which is it's still the problem if we're um always putting people on a platform for that but that's we'll, we'll come back to that point um but then and they've also lost weight at some point and been more celebrated for that more upheld for that weight loss than anything else they've achieved and and shared that with me like what does that message back to us that when I got this promotion or I completed some significant other achievement that was in line with my values that was important to me when I went through big life transitions it it was nothing compared to how I showed up in a smaller body that was so celebrated that was so um so messaged back as a highly valuable achievement and accomplishment which goes hand in hand with the opposite side of the same coin if we are then going to gain weight it feels like we're doing something that is of high risk from a social perspective there is the fear of judgment I very often hear that from people people Mm -hmm. are going to become a healthy person anymore I don't care about fitness I've let myself go make assumptions about um, lifestyle choices and the idea of weight gain, even if objectively from a medical or health perspective, that person gaining weight would be something that is almost a, a common sense opinion um, that they might be more underweight than they even realize, for example, 
it's very hard to be discerning around that when the ultimate messaging about weight gain is implied with meaning such as laziness and greediness right from the Disney movies we watched growing up as children the the bad guys the evil characters are often in bigger bodies represented in bigger bodies or it's like the dumb silly sidekick like the the humor relief is in a big body and we don't take them seriously because they're big and that's a an indication to us that their their worth isn't as valid as the protagonist it's in our it's in our cellular memory that gaining weight in our culture is at higher risk from from a social rejection perspective so again even though objectively there are times where that might be absolutely crucial to go through that process still feels like very counterintuitive mm -hmm. and it's so interesting how you said you know we've got so many areas of life that we can be successful in whether it be career focused family focused it could even be on an emotional front just showing up as an incredible sister or best friend or um or colleague you know there's so many elements of life that we can excel in but there tends to be this weight loss where it seems to be important to everybody and I guess what I'm trying to articulate is if you think about someone who's completed a particular university degree and for the most part general knowledge is while they would have allocated a lot of time and a lot of energy in order to achieve that well done but depending on what your path has been with your own education or what you've been exposed to through others, you might actually, you might not know how difficult it actually is to get through the university degree. So let's say uh, to become a psychologist, you've got to do all this learning and all the studying and allocate all the time, but then you've got to do however many hundreds of hours of placement. So to the person who knows that, it's like, wow, you finished your degree, congratulations. That was so much time and energy and labor well done but then you've got somebody who might not know time energy effort placement hours and they just know you you got a degree and that's the career you're working in now and they go oh that, that's great you know that that's really good because they don't actually know what it takes to achieve what you're achieving and it's relative to I guess the praise you're going to receive where when you think about weight loss it is probably the most understood process by everybody you need to be conscious of what you're eating. You need to say no. You need to exercise more and perhaps prioritize things that you're currently not prioritizing. So when we look at the general population, you go into a room of people and you've lost weight, whether it be for a good reason or a bad reason, you've got a lot more approval coming in because everybody understands so you do happen to get that praise of, oh, you know, that took discipline. Oh, you really prioritize your health and your time and everything like that. And I feel like sometimes that's why the praise we receive can be misleading because we get the praise that's pretty consistent amongst the people we're around because everyone gets what's required versus a, um, you know university education or even becoming a parent it's a very different oh wow you did good to last um, six months of sleepless nights from someone who's experienced it versus someone who's got no idea it's like oh that would be tough but it's very different to someone who's lived it um, 
I feel like I've gone on a tangent once again, but just that, that idea that no wonder we can almost get swept off our feet by praise because it's so readily accessible to everyone around us. And for the most part, it's one of the most popular conversations we experience. When you think about even uh, like magazines and lunchtime breaks and all that kind of stuff, there's constant chatter about it and everyone knows what's required. And I feel like it's almost this perfect tornado of once you get in the center of it, no wonder we get showered with praise. That's wonderfully described, Jade. It's um, a bit of an aha moment hearing you say that. I think that's a very good point around the accessibility and relatability of the achievement and, and the overlapping values maybe towards that versus say someone that's achieved something academically, but maybe not everyone values academics. That was the best way to spend their time or relates to parenting or, or believes in that being a priority. Where statistically, almost every woman in Australia has attempted weight loss, which is mm. profound. But over 90% of the population um, as by, the, by adulthood, within adulthood, have attempted weight loss. So it would be hard to find someone that can't relate to it versus mm -hmm. around and and have that resonance in the effortfulness of what it often looks like and the valuing the shared valuing from a shared cultural perspective of how important it is it's a given weight loss is good mm -hmm. that um that makes the counter experience so difficult so how do you think we could begin to start tackling these difficult thoughts when it comes to okay i've I now have the awareness that my weight is not serving me anymore. I'm not necessarily ready for change, but I'm ready to at least ponder the idea that weight gain is one of the only parts out. And it's almost inevitable that if I want to improve my health, my body is going to change. How can we first start navigating that? So whether it be starting to find permission within it, whether it be warming ourselves up to the idea of our body changing, um, even the idea of that fear of, of judgment that tends to go hand in hand, because for some, it's not even necessarily the body change. Sometimes it's what happens if someone notices my body's change, what are they then going to label me with? Exactly. Yeah. The fear of perception and when, when weight loss has been something that's almost like your magic power you've been able to do it where so many people have struggled with it which is often the feedback we mm -hmm. are you're so disciplined you you know how you do it you're always um always here at the gym or always like in that behavior of reliably so we having to conscientiously change that perception feels really scary and I think one of the most important things is being aware of our inherent alarm as in association with pursuing weight gain and dropping away some of the behaviours that maybe at some point we thought were the right thing to do and we thought were helping us, but we're now understanding and doing harm that to appreciate why it's been built up as something that's loaded with a, a threat response, a, a danger response, because that's often what it feels like for people if they if they see a higher weight or their clothes fit differently, or they start to see changes in their body, 
or if someone does feedback like oh you're eating that you don't normally eat that mm-hmm. just that which might not even be said with any meaning from that person's point of view but on the receiving end feels annihilating of that former identity to understand what's happening I think is incredibly important with that sense of the reason this feels very threatening and maybe that person has a very loud voice in their head saying you need to restrict again you need to lose the weight you've gained go back to exercise that was better see they do like you better like that mm-hmm. more why you were valued and why you were respected to anticipate that as well to know it's very likely our our brains are wired to benefit from things that are predictable and things that are going to minimize risk and so staying with the same behavior if it's not putting us in acute dangers and there's not something life-threatening in front of us here and now we're very likely to continue in those situations which is an example as an example something like an abusive relationship mm-hmm. might continue because in that moment of acute threat someone thinks I need to leave I need to get out of this but once it subsides your whole life is invested in that situation. Socially, everyone knows you as part of this family or with this other person. There's so much scaffolding around that institution, Mm. which is incredibly effortful and has so many costs associated with changing. Our brain does have a bias to encourage us to stay. And it's it's clogging over if we can, if there's any way of possibly doing that. So when we come up against the force field of change and it feels like we're losing something, not gaining something at first. Um, When we are starting to create these changes in our life and experience weight gain, then it feels like all of our our brain, all of our instincts are going to be telling us this is a really bad idea and we need to understand that's likely to happen and understand what it is as a threat response so that we have another resource available which you could call maybe a wiser self or a future self, possibly being able to be called in to say, but this is why it does matter and this is why it has to be now. Because if we're doing what we've been doing for another 12 months, we're putting these health factors at risk, we're putting fertility at risk, where it's not going to be easier in 12 months than it is today. Other people might not understand it. And I think one of the very painful things especially for a cohort, which people with eating disorders often are, that tend to be pleasers, people pleasers. The idea of being misunderstood is very scary. So if I'm I'm actually trying to protect my health by gaining weight, but there's a chance someone might misunderstand that as me slacking off now, or I don't care, or I don't show up at the gym diligently now, that can be a much more invasive concepts than it might be for someone who is wired a bit differently around that um, people-pleasing profile as well. It's, um, I'm just thinking about when I was going through the midst of hey chain, especially the, the weight gain side of things. I remember one of the things I found almost therapeutic for me was to post about it on social media. So this was what, if you go back, back, back into my Instagram, you will see the depths of it. Um, but for me, it was that you know, and it's something that comes across with so many women. It's if I change the behaviors, people are going to think I'm letting myself go. I don't care anymore. So for me, my recovery started as soon as I got married. 
And I thought, great, I'm going to fit this classic thing of, see, she doesn't care anymore. She's got the ring on her finger. She's going to get all fat and ugly because she, now she's got her husband and then he's going to be upset with her and blah, 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 blah. Like the story I concocted was detailed, <laughs> very detailed. And at that point in time, I believed it to be quite true. And I think that's important for a lot of people listening or women listening that the things you perceive as going to happen in the moment are going to change as you continue to heal. Because at the very start, it is quite catastrophic. And I find it almost insensitive and unhelpful when the sort of words around those thoughts use like you're being silly or it doesn't matter because it makes you more resistant. Where if someone said, oh, I can see why you think that, it actually helps you lean into it more because it's like, oh, okay, that threat response, someone understands the threat. So for me, when I was processing everything, it was like, well, I'm terrified of people thinking I'm making these decisions because I've let myself go and I don't care. So I'm going to pretty much wave this red flag and go, hey, just so you know, I'm eating more because it's for health reasons and, and I'm training less because it's for health reasons. Like I'm, I'm not lazy and I'm not, and I'm not giving up. I'm actually caring a lot more than I've ever cared before. And I need you to know that. And did people read the post? I've got no idea. But it made me feel really good knowing that I was putting out this almost public disclaimer that everything is with intention. Because for me, the biggest insult I could have received from the process was someone assuming I was giving up when realistically I was giving more than I've ever given before. Because for me to stay in my disordered ways would have been so much easier. It wouldn't have allowed me to have a baby or to have a cycle or do any of those kinds of things. But would I have still been happy? Yeah. Would I have still enjoyed what I did? Yeah, but it didn't secure that future that I wanted. So it was pivotal in that moment that I had to change. But I did find it empowering to educate people on why I was making the choices I was making. And I must disclose, though, when I decided to go through HA recovery, I was very much through my eating disorder phase. Like I was very much at the point of good relationship with food. It was just really cutting back the exercise but when it comes to showing say my eating disorder behaviors that would have been a very different process because I didn't want to disclose what I was thinking or feeling but there was and there's no wrong or right to that if you want to share what you're thinking and feeling absolutely do that um, because I do believe honesty is like your ticket to freedom if you can just share your truth oh my goodness the power that comes with it is incredible and what I realized from that experience of sharing blew my mind because I was expecting a backlash of that can't be right, that's wrong, um, this is silly. All the things I had catastrophized, I thought at some point someone would pull me up on it. And for the most part, if anyone started to read the posts or if I started to share face-to-face, -face, I actually got, wow, you've waited six years to deal with this? You haven't had a period in six years. Oh, my God, Jade, why would you put your exercise before this? And when I first heard it, I thought they're tricking me. They're trying to make me feel good about this because uh, they pity me or I don't know, I, I, not helpful things. And then it started to be consistent. I'm like, hang on, this is actually how people feel. They prioritise health before physicality. And as I started to trust that and I started to allow it to come in was when I then created more space to allow for more freedom, to allow for more spontaneity, to allow more 
more space to be intuitive about what my body needed versus what society needs from me. Because it turns out I thought, and I truly believed it, hand on heart, I believed it, that all my core value come from my physique, my type of training, how I ate. There was no character included. There was no like empathy or fun or it was nothing. And as I started to remove that away, I realized it was such a false conception, sorry, perception, and that everything I thought was most important People saw me as, you know, definitely it was a characteristic of me, like, yeah, I was the fit girl in the group or the fit whoever, but that wasn't why they were friends with me. That was just like a little secondary category of if they were going to split me up from someone else. I was like, oh, yeah, she's at the gym all the time. But it wasn't actually I'm friends with her because of that. And key to the long-winded story, but just that idea that when we go into this idea of weight gain, our perception can be so loaded with, if I gain weight, I'm going to be seen as the person who's given up, who is lazy, who doesn't care, who is unhealthy. When sometimes sharing your truth allows you to actually see how far from that people actually perceive us. And for the most front, they're so happy for us when we start to make changes that we just blocked off we had no perception there's a quote I'm reminded of um, from Oprah Winfrey that said the, the truth will set you free and and also how I'm so glad you shared that I think so many listeners will be able to relate to that deeply where we find our own value is going to be the correlation of threat for changing behavior and if it was someone that, say, centred their identity more on their intelligence or academia and that was threatened in some way, it might feel quite similar as why well. I've always been the, the person that's been quite successful in my career. I've built myself up in this way and now I've been made redundant or the GFC hits and it all changes. And that threat to identity is so much more dire than someone losing their job who didn't identify with their job. So it does, while it's very socially relatable on a meta level, also highlights where we're positioned, like which basket we've put our eggs in really to build up our, our identity. And with that, it requires an expense, an expansion of our self-concept as we as we look to recovery and make room, make room psychologically for weight gain, because there then has to be more to Jade if these other qualities are going to be differently positioned as priorities in your life. There have to be other things that move into the space that makes where now you can see that's actually more of who you are and more true for always what you were and how you were valued. But it is so scary at the entry point and that idea of sharing this is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. That makes enormous sense to me. It's um, but it's a little bit like a PR campaign or a rebranding campaign. Yeah. Of it. Like that's authorship. You've got agency in this is what you're going to be seeing. This is why. And sometimes knowing, even if it wouldn't have been something that anyone even had a thought around or noticed, you knowing that you've owned that process is, is a much more empowering way of positioning yourself. 
Yeah, and as yeah, beautifully said on that ownership created the empowerment because it was just that. It's like, well, I'm redirecting my life and I'm I'm scared of it, but I know it's going to lead to great things. And here's the process, here's the protocol. Because that disclaimer of um, just like I'm doing something that goes against the grain felt good to me. But then when I think about, uh, let's say, eating disorder recovery further on, right, you're recovered from your eating disorder and you're, you're just living life, like things, food isn't complicated anymore. And it's so interesting that the basic guidelines when it comes to eat every three hours, make sure you're having three main meals, have your snacks, include protein, carbs, fats, and, you know, your little staples there that are a beautiful foundation. If you're hungry, have a little bit more. When you think about someone who is, let's say, overweight and on a weight loss journey, it's the exact same process. Let's eat every three hours, make sure you prioritize protein, but still have carbs and still have fats. And it's so interesting to me that at the very beginning of the journey that that guidance was so cruel, obsessive, unfair, unrealistic, um, all of the horrible things I could think of. And it was like, how dare you ask me to do this? And yet when you're out of it, you realize the guidelines that are given are, are very healthy and general guidelines given to anyone who wants to be healthy. But in the moment, it feels like someone wants to feed you up and make you an elephant because of how I guess, fearful you are of certain outcomes and are, are of change. But once you are on the other side of the fence, you can actually rationalize and go, oh, wow, that's actually quite a mindful description of things to do throughout the day to secure that my body's well fed. And it's, it's really interesting to me how a piece of information could have been so offensive at the start. And then once your emotion's out of it, because you're not in a, that fearful state anymore, you can look at the exact same information and go, oh, that's... That's quite, that's quite reasonable, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point, how it does mirror the, the same guidelines towards health. It's like in a, um, an adaptive protocol and that if it was someone pursuing weight loss, it would also probably be very celebrated and good on you and um, up on the board at the gym as, as the person that's done how many classes this week. and and yet reclaiming health from the other end of the continuum can be so much more silenced and more vague and, mm. and feel ostracizing maybe because of that. Can I, can I ask you, Jade, so you wondered if it might be really important for listeners thinking about weight gain, how did you go about tolerating changes in your body like physiologically, like the meaning making of seeing change as you gained weight? Yeah, I am. Um... It's definitely a long, lengthy process. And there's days where you can really just be like, this is great. I'm so happy with how I look and I'm happy. Or even if I'm not necessarily happy with how I look, I'm really happy with how I feel. So it feels like a good deal for me. That's it. I can I can navigate this because I feel really good. I look okay. Um, this works. But then there's other days where I'd look in the mirror and that I feel fat. Because you hear on social media, you can't feel fat. It's not an emotion. I'm sorry, but if you've been through it, you feel fat. You feel the size of an elephant. For me, there was times, uh, full transparency, I, I wanted to rip my skin off. It was like if I could rip it off or cut it off with scissors, get it off. It was like this pure experience of disgust. Like I'm so disgusted. It ha this has to stop. But 
I would recognize one, I'm incredibly emotional because I'm being so nasty to myself. And if I'm being that nasty, I'm not in a calm, logical state. I'm anxiety to the tens and hence the cruelty. So I'd witness the thoughts and I'd be these on the nasty days and I'd give myself some space to just calm down and be like, look, this isn't the real you. You'd never talk to yourself this way, let alone anybody else. Let's just calm down for a second. The reality is if I go back to what I feel is better, the thinner version of me, it's not going to lead me to the life that I'm working towards. So that's a loss. I might feel better temporarily if I lost the weight for what a day or two and then I'm going to slingshot back to where I want to go and repeat all the steps I've just done. That seems lengthy and painful. Why would I do that? Even though I feel awful right now, I know once I feel a little bit better later, I'm actually can twist it and go, well, every day I pursue this, I'm one day closer to the end goal, which is being weight restored, having my period back, um, having a child. And because I am a very goal orientated person, I needed to use that as ammo to get me through. And some key things that I used to focus on is in the past, my markers of success were always eating less, training more. And I can't bring those in to my new pathway forward because sometimes I would try and do both. It's like, I want to feel good about what I used to do while knowing I need to do the opposite. And it's like, well, you need to pick what makes you have a successful day. What makes me have a successful day is having my breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, being mindful with my movement. And then if I was upset about things, I'd be like, well, have you stuck to the things you needed to do today? Because there's your pat on the back. Don't worry about anything else. Just stick to those tick boxes. And it would just help me see the light in this isn't going to last forever. And I would never distract from the idea that I'm being silly because I don't think any of us are being silly. What we're experiencing is real and it and it's emotional and I'm going through such a process of change that I think it's okay to actually sit in the emotion sometimes so that you can work out how to get out, you know, but don't sit there too long. That's the, that's the detail where having help is really handy because if you sit there too long, you will get lost. You've got to pull yourself back up again. So, for, yeah, for me, it was very much knowing what I wanted and knowing that every day I'm living in this new version of myself, I am one step closer to what I want and knowing that the weight restoration process isn't forever. At some point, my body will be happy again. And if I want to make changes to my lifestyle, mindful ones, that I that I can. And just like any other athletic in, endure, if I wanted to go be an Olympian, I can't just wake up and be like, I'm going to the Olympics today. I can't. I need to show up to training. I need to find coaches. I need to invest time. Perhaps I'm struggling with injuries and then I'm recovering. So I would sort of bring in that, that metaphor of, well, I can't just wake up and want a period. Like I, I need to work. And some part of the work is going to be feeling these emotions and finding ways to get myself out. Um, so for me, I, I didn't necessarily follow the prompts other people do with all the self-care processes and things like that. I, it didn't stick well with me, didn't resonate well. But what did work well for me, though, thankfully, I remembered, <laughs> I would have been disappointed if I got back to it later, um, was function over physique. So I'd sit there and be like, oh, like, let's say, oh, my God, look at my legs. Right. I go, no, but you know what? Those legs have allowed me to walk all day today. 
And as a result, I could jump in my car and I could get to work. My arms have allowed me to give my husband a cuddle. Um, the fact that I can see means I can see people's smiles when I'm walking down the street or um, I can hear the birds chirping or, and that would really ground me because really it's everything else that's allowing me to experience this world that matters, not how I'm physically showing up. I appreciate you doing that so much. There's so much in that that will be that will be so relatable and and useful for people to hear. I think the the normalizing and acknowledgement of how intense the rejection of body change can feel. I, I so value your honesty in that because that feeling of like wanting to get scissors and cut the the weight gain off, or just feeling absolutely disgusted with yourself is first of all a, a brilliant thing to highlight that the very intensity of those thoughts suggests the kind of place it's coming from within you and and if people listening are experiencing that to try and try and bookmark that until other parts of themselves have a chance to opine on the same situation so it's more of a, a meeting of different parts of ourselves and appreciating the intense distress but not reacting to it mm -hmm. something that I noticed in speaking to a lot of people really in, in pain of weight gain is that there's an assumption if it's this painful it can't be right mm -hmm. I think yeah. we have that socially we have that mythology around a few things even like romantic love like if it's if it feels really good it must be right when maybe it isn't mm -hmm. um but also when it feels really bad, if something I'm doing feels really wrong, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge believer in this entire intuition and making space for that. But sometimes when there's trauma, we don't, we have that response and our intuition is blocked or our ability to, to act on or know what is in our ultimate best interest is blocked because we're just in a fear response. And trauma can be so many different things, but they're, there can be trauma from years of disordered eating. There can be trauma from body image distress. And when you're trying to make changes to those very subjects while living in this body, like no one gets to escape the reality of being in the body that while it's changing, it can be very confusing because I don't find that depth of it is often spoken to for as, as, as stressful, as intense, as confronting as it can be. So there could be an assumption of, Maybe other people have gained weight and maybe they're a bit uncomfortable sometimes, but they went along and did it. But when I try and do that, it's mm. hell, it's agony. I can't focus on anything else. It's I'm not going to be able to do that and do the rest of my life and meet other responsibilities. So it just it just can't be a bridge I can look across. So hearing you speak to that, I think, is is really powerful. And I, I think, you know, it comes up a lot in podcasts when everyone talks about like, the end part of the journey where I was like, yeah, I love and accept myself because once you get to that part, you're so happy in it that I think a lot, it's, it's painful to regress back to how things could feel. So for me, I personally think from a coaching standpoint and from a podcast standpoint, the fact that I can take myself back into how I felt helps me navigate what other women are going through and even have more open conversations with someone like yourself because it's like well how did I feel back then and I can then bring myself back to where I'm now right so it's not painful to go back because for me it's like oh we're just going to double in there and then you know you've, you've got a happy healthy place here let's stay here 
but it's important for women to know that a lot of the time when someone is sharing eating disorder recovery in this place of acceptance and healing is that it's not commonly discussed what the depths of things could look like. And everyone's experience is different. Some women not, might not ever experience such um, nasty emotions through the process. Some might just go, hey, this is great. I'm loving it. I've got boobs now. I've got a bum. My partner's really happy. And, you know, it's it's really uplifting. But for others, they they go through some pretty nasty emotions like we've just discussed. And either it's not discussed because it's too painful to share it out loud, like it's bad enough in my head. I don't want to now verbalize it and make it more real because once we talk out loud, everything's real. Um, or there's the part of, you know, I just don't want to go back there. Like it's, it's in the past, but as saying true to what you were saying in regards to just because it feels awful, doesn't mean that it's a sign it's not right because sometimes we need to go through the depths of that to get out the other side and it's unpleasant and it's not nice, but there is something beautiful on the other side if you're willing to, to lean in. And in particular, if you're willing to share it with someone you trust, it can help sort of throw you a rope and help get you out because it can feel very lonely. And sometimes feelings of shame can present themselves because it's like, you know, I shouldn't feel this way. I mean, I'm still smaller than half the people in the room or da 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 da, da um, but no one gets it. Um, and just one more thing popped into my mind that I was thinking that might be helpful to some of our listeners is when I was having those really extreme emotional responses, I'd also think back to how I felt about myself the day before. And for the most part, the day before was always okay. And then I'd have this random like red rage of fury and I'd be like, wow, what, what happened? Like I was okay yesterday. Logically, I know my body has not changed in 24 hours. Like I, I know that. So why is it I'm looking in the mirror or I'm looking down at my legs and I feel so disgusted? It's not actually what I'm seeing because I saw it yesterday and it was fine. I saw it last week. And then once I learned this trick, I feel like everything changed because every time it happened, I realized I had an uncomfortable conversation with a family member. Perhaps I had something stressful happen at work. Perhaps my, my dog got sick. Um, it was life events that happened. And I started to learn that I didn't know how to process the life stress. So I instantly redirected it to body shaming because that felt easy to me. It's so easy and F, and it sounds bizarre, but anyone going through it, actually think about it. It's so easy to be so self-destructive and nasty to yourself versus actually bringing the tools you need to deconstruct a stressful event that you don't know what to do. You don't know who to talk to. You're not sure what you should say, what you should do. So it's almost like a protective mechanism to I'm going to distract myself with something I know well and I'm going to make it feel that bad that I'm stuck here for a couple of hours. And then once I clicked that, I was like, oh, wow, this isn't even the problem. And then it led into this whole cascade of um, emotional regulation. I'm, okay, my emotions aren't what I think they are. When something stressful presents itself, I know I think this way. So when this happens, I've got to revert back for the last six hours. What went wrong? And then I've got to lean into that. Mm -hmm. Is that something you find with uh, women that you work with sometimes? That sometimes it, it very much is a physical self, but other times it's I'm much better versed at making myself feel horrific that I'm just going to practice that for a little while, have some mental relaxation 
and then I'll go back to my other stresses. There's so much in there, Jade. I'm even feeling the the itch for our next podcast <laughs> in this area because um, there's a term for it, which is somatization, which is to make issues of one's nature psychologically into an issue with our body. And that might not just be an eating disorder sense. That might be um, some people might feel it as an illness in um days gone by women taking rest because they were having vapors or that that was thought we now think looking back it was very likely they were having a mental health episode but it was seen as um would talk about it as something physical because the vocabulary around mental health was so lacking and we still do that a lot now and if we've got this if we've got this metaphor of our body being a problem in so many ways and Anita Johnson's written beautifully about this and eating in the light of the moon how culturally there is so much in our culture that makes women's bodies problematic that inherent inheritance of women's bodies being less trusted being seen as seductive having to be contained not being trusted or seen as clean because they bleed or they're seen as closer to the earth and the male body thousands of years of lineage coming into our lifetime to position us from the get-go in seeing our bodies as inherently problematic a problem to be solved whether that's getting rid of hair that grows on women's bodies or fixing skin problems and a very very um large or significant part of that conversation often comes back to weight and making bodies small enough to not be obtrusive small enough to not be intimidating to not be to to reach acceptance from that context but when we can alchemize our problems into being about our body we have quite a practical way we can fix it so rather than deal with this really complex historical issue with my mother I can just restrict this afternoon and make it about my eyes it's you know using the word easier in the sense of I've got the tools readily to do that I've got the skill set I've got the practice it's familiar I don't have to go somewhere uncomfortable and think about something much more threatening to my sense of self and maybe um, ways of functioning and support systems in the world I can just focus on this area that I am pretty comfortable with although it is uncomfortable and, and upset still very familiar is is a really big thing and I think that gets exposed on steroids when we when we come to weight gain and, and pursuing weight gain because all of a sudden you don't have that avenue to utilize anymore and it can it can reveal a lot it can be like opening Pandora's box mm, absolutely and I, as you said I would love to dive into is it some somatization yeah. in our next podcast I feel like that would be so helpful to a lot of our listeners and to the general population I'm sure there's some uh, golden nuggets there to extract out into our life wisdom and knowledge of things um, but as always Jack and I've absolutely loved exploring weight gain with you and I'm sure our listeners have either felt understood or they've got some new inspiration to continue moving forward and um, more than anything, if anyone listening wants to reach out and connect with us, please do. We would love to hear from you. And, you know, if any, just knowing that you are not alone in this journey and there's nothing you could possibly think that no one else has thought before, 
because it really can feel that way in the moment. And when you find the right people to support you, you're not going to feel like what you're thinking is shameful or silly or, um, you know, un unwise, let's say. Um, but for now, Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to leave all your details in the show notes. And as I said, I'm so excited for our next conversation. Likewise, Jade, an absolute pleasure.